Okay, my name is uh, Dennis Wood, and uh, the company's name's KGL, um, and we've both got a long history, and the site's Jervoice, and Jervoice has got a long history. In fact, Jervoice started being explored back in 1926. Even MIM have been shareholder in uh, Jervoice for quite some time. Um, and the target is, our target is to get a 10-year mine life of 2% uh, copper, which we've which was our target when I joined the company as executive chairman in um, 2016. And um, we've, we've recently, at the end of last year, put out a feasibility study, which confirms that we, we do have an 11 year mine life at 2% grade. Brilliant. Well, look, it's lovely to meet you. And it's the first time we've spoken or, or heard this story. So I'm sort of keen to maybe get a little a bit of backdrop and context for what you're trying to do. And obviously, we'll go, th we'll go through some of the numbers around the feasibility study. So um, can you give us a bit about, about you? What's your, what's your background? What have you done that's kind of relevant to what we're about to talk about? I've got a very long background. I go back to joining BHP in yeah, 1969 as a trainee metallurgist. And after I finished my metallurgy, I took over the Minerals Division's Coal Evaluation Exploration Department and um, did a geology degree. And then since leaving, I've fundamentally been headhunted into other jobs. I've cleaned up quite a few public mining companies and I've uh, built a couple of mines from scratch. In fact, the ones I built from scratch, I was a major shareholder of at the start of the process. So I've actually completed construction of, uh, of a couple of mines. I've worked internationally. I had a job in America for three years as president of a large engineering consulting company, which had 50 laboratories over the state, plus some in South America and South Africa. So um, I've got a huge amount of very successful experience. I had retired um, seven years ago, and I'd been retired for about eight months, and um, I got pulled into Gervoice, into KGL, by the major shareholders because it, uh, well, it had gone broke. It had put out a pre-feasibility study and there was all sorts of issues there. And they, fundamentally, it was a 6.1 year mine life at 1% grade copper. And given we're in the middle of Australia, that wasn't going to work. Uh, so my goal in joining it, and I underwrote the rights issue to get it started. So I've been 10% shareholder ever since. So for the last seven years, every time we've done a capital raising, it's, uh, I've been contributing. And um, I think we've achieved a fair bit in that seven years. The fact of the matter is we've gone from one to 2% copper, gone from six years to 11 years. We've got a lot of potential, by the way, to keep going, which is one of our goals now and keep expanding. Um, but I also, while I was bringing that into line, we've got all our government licenses, approvals done. I've got the mining lease. I've got the ILIA, which is the traditional owner's agreement that you need. I've got the uh, EIS and the mine management plan. So the mine management plan was signed off by the minister, which fundamentally gives us the green light to go. So all those regulations and requirements that are needed are done. The resource is done to enough, the feasibility study is done. And so now it's really a matter of making that bankable, raising the money and constructing. But of course, in the current climate, um, and this is, couple of the public mining companies that I got headhunted to clean up. The reason they were in trouble is the construction process got held up. And of course, you can't survive if, you, if you've got a 
12 month or a two year construction period, you need to do it. The thing you've got to focus on is getting it done in that time because all the, all the other costs will blow you out of the water. So what I'm working on now is focused on is how I do that and get it done in the right time according to the current budget process in the feasibility. That's an interesting turnaround there. I mean, did you kind of, was there a certain management shakeup when you when you came in at trying, you know, so you could bring the, the people the right sort of skill sets and attitude. Um, so, so did you bring people with you? I mean, how, how did it all work? No, no. In fact, um, whilst it's been seven years, um, when I first took over, the company was broke. Absolutely. I mean, would have had to shut down if I hadn't have done what I did. They couldn't raise any money. Uh, I had been on the board for about three months, um, but I took over as chairman and wrote it. But, and the fact is, we come down to, I think, three staff and um, 100% board change. So the board did change completely. Um, and I got rid of pretty well everybody because we couldn't afford to keep them. I was down to three. So for the next 18 months, I was really doing all the, all the groundwork, which included starting the licenses, um, controlling the drilling. We really had no... There was a resource, an open cut resource at Rockface, but it really isn't a resource. And I started what looked to be the most promising potential at Rockface. And over the next period of time, we proved that up to be a resource of some quality. Of course, Rockface's grade is three, around about 3%. So we got Rockface up to uh, uh, a reasonable deposit, which then allowed the grade to to increase, we did get rid of a lot of the lower grade material that was in the other resorts. Um, and we got all the licenses and everything. Now, of course, I didn't do that without bringing in uh, some expertise. Um, and my expertise is, is in fact, because of the, my history, is being able to locate those people and, and find them. And, and to be frank, one of the big issues with that, I'm not a public company fan. The ones I've cleaned up have been public companies. Um, and I did play a big role in getting MacArthur Coal public, but once it became public, I got out. Um, but I did help, and I did get it there. Um, but uh, unfortunately, this is a public company. I was bought in by the major shareholders, uh, which I'm obviously one now. And um, the fact is they're terribly supportive. There's a huge amount of knowledge base within those shareholders. So in fact, I do get a fair bit of um, advice and assistance from within the, the current shareholder system to some extent. I'm intrigued by that. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great turnaround story. And obviously, they were cash constrained, but they're also, as you say, sitting at 1% in the middle of Australia. That's, that's going to be marginal at best, right? So you've gone from 1% to 2%. So how do you, how do you go about doing that? What, what do you focus on? What did you have to do? When you first walked in, what did you say? Right, the challenge is the following. Here's what we're going to do about it. And I'd love to hear that. Okay, it's really quite simple. I've run into this all my life. Whilst I'm a geologist, I don't have dreams when I walk onto the site. We decided back in January 2016 that we were going to focus on the copper. Now, it's a highly mineralized deposit. In fact, there's been a lead zinc mine there. Uh, there's tungsten there. There's molybdenum there. You know, we're even finding cobalt in our regions. So, and when you walk around the, the structure, the vertical structure that sticks out of the ground and is in shape like a big J because it's been dragged around by the fault beside us, um, the, you can see, notice the copper on the surface pretty well the whole 10 kilometer walk. 
So it's highly mineralized. So the trick was, and still is, and that's why I, I did retire when I turned 70, August before last, I did get bought, bought back eight months later. And almost the same thing had happened again. So the fact is, you've got to focus on the deposit. So once we established we had reward, reward underground, rock face underground, bellbird, that's what I've been drilling. We're focused on the downhole EM. Geophysics has worked very well for us, particularly at rock face. We've followed that, we've focused on the copper, we've focused on the resource, and we've built that up. I got rid of some of the, there was <coughs> Cox's Fine and Rockface Open Cuts, they were 0.8 grades. I, I just crossed them off the resource list. So I dropped the low grade material and focused on the potential. And I'm back in again now, and that's what we'll be doing this year. My target now is to go from 11 years of my life to 15 over the next six months. Well, I mean, you, you say low grade. I think most people in Chile are being delighted with 0.8. So um, how, much, how much money did you have to raise to actually allow you to kind of go through this process? You mean to go forward and construct it? Yeah, to go for, well. As in, as in, so I'm still focused on on what what went, what has gone on in the past because I'm sort of intrigued by the way that management teams think, and the way that they behave, because it gives me a sort of sense of what they are going to be capable of going forward. So, you know, again, this 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 period that you went through, we said, look, we're going to focus on this higher grade mineralization. We're going to, you know, we're going to ignore the point eight percent stuff. Um, I mean, it must have cost you a bit of money, and it uh, must have been pretty expensive um, money at that, given where you were back then? Well, it, it, to some extent it, it was. Um, but as I said, we've got a very, very supportive shareholder base. And who, who are they? G give me a sense of who they are. You know. Well, you've got uh, the Salem Group in Indonesia as our major shareholder. Uh, I'm the second shareholder. There's um, a Swiss minerals trading company that's uh, the third. Um, there's a Swiss um, banker that's um, sort of a manager of people's investments. He, he's been there now. They've fundamentally, they've been there the whole time because KGL was used to be Kentor Gold and it, it went broke on other assets. I mean, initially it was in Kyrgyzstan and then at um, West Australia Gold. So when I joined it, they, they'd all cleaned it out, cleaned out, but the shareholders had still stuck in there and were still supportive. So when I got rid, well, the, the board left and most of the staff left, the, the next two years, we didn't spend much money at all. The fact is we drill a couple of holes, run the downhole, and we were very fortunate that drilling wasn't a big demand at that time, which meant they could leave the drill rig on site while we got the downhole EM done. So it was really quite slow, but the drilling is expensive because the deposit's fairly vertical. And as a consequence, you've got to hit it from a, a, an angle, fair angle to actually get a reasonable estimate of the thickness. And, you know, with rock face, for instance, we're now down to a kilometer and you're drilling it from quite a distance out and for, to comply with our jork, um, system that we've got to comply to get the uh, reserve done but they're almost got to be 50 meters apart all the holes so actually and it's a 1.7 billion year old deposit well, not the deposit but the structure 
And um, as a consequence, drilling is very difficult. So the drilling is expensive. And for the first 18 months, we had one rig working probably quarter of the year off and on until we actually proved up we had a resource at Rockface with a reasonable grade. And then obviously we were able to raise more money to, to get it up to the level where we could say it's indicated on the Jork Reserve. We also expanded very much the uh, reward underground that had been part of the first part of the process. And we've done a lot of infill drilling on the open cut potential. But fundamentally, you're right, but the it's been most of the capital that we've raised has been done by rights issues. I'm a, as I said, I'm against, uh, I don't think exploration companies should be public, to be frank. There's massive risk with exploration companies. It doesn't matter. Everything can go well, uh, but you might not still get your license or you might get a protest or, you, you know, all sorts of things can happen and still could happen to us. However, the deposit's there, it's real, it's copper that's going to be needed. We've got all our licenses. We've over the, I've not gone public with anything too much apart from what we have to do. This is my first interview public wise, because I'm very conservative. I didn't go out and promote the company until we got more and more solid. Um, and I'm now going to start that process because depending on how I go getting confidence that we'll get it constructed in time, in, in, in the budget time, um, then obviously I'll be starting to raise capital very shortly. Now I do have a massive success. I raised even the capital going forward that we've done so far, most 90% of it I've raised myself uh, by just raising it and I'll do the same with the capital that we require for the construction. Now, we look like it's about 400 million to get going. That's not just the construction, that's um, to, to, to get us to where we're making a profit. It, it is fascinating. So there's a, there's a, few, there's a few things I want to, want to get into with you, obviously. Um, I agree with you on the, on the public <laughs> component as well, which I've just bought a copy of mine myself, and I'm, it's staying private. because. Um, but generally, I think you know, it's very hard for retail investors to actually understand what it is that they're investing into and there are many many risks involved with exploration uh, you know w w well understood but the people get excited about the leverage component but but here we are we, we are talking about a public company today um you're, you're talking about extending the life of mine which is great um you can do that in lots of ways um i i'm kind of interested in, in scale here so you haven't got a lot of tonnage but you have got grade and you've got a few byproducts as, as well so um, in terms of what the feasibility study tells you, tells, tells or should tell us, what should we be looking at and what can we expect in terms of how you go forward in terms of um, increasing the, the size of the project, not just the, the length of period by which you mine? As in increase the daily, increase the daily production? As an increase the daily production, or, or, or quite frankly, the, the, the tonnage, you're sitting at what, so 23 million tonnes, that, that sort of level on, on the onshore resource, is that right? That's the, the resource, yes, Twenty, almost 24 million tonnes at 2%. Right, and and so what, what does, in, in, as far as you know, global copper um, deposits are concerned, what, what does a meaningful, you know, what is a meaningful resource for a copper project globally? Okay, well, the target initially, which I put a lot of work into, um, mainly through the shareholder base that would want me, want me to come and take it over, um, was 10 years at 30,000 30, tonnes of copper a year. 
and we're not quite, we were 30, um, but this last model is, well, you've got the um, material, that, extra material that we're bringing in with the mining process that's diluting it a bit. So we're down to about 25 to 27,000 tonnes. So one of my goals is to get it back up to 30. My license and stuff, I've still got some uh, flexibility in them with respect to how we can still grow a lot more. Um, but given the apparent copper price increase about 2025 being out the roof, then there's a good reason why between now and then, uh, expanding the uh, the target or expanding the resource is well worthwhile. And one of the reasons that I'm making that one of our, well, I have made it now one of our priorities. And in fact, I'm looking at getting to 15 million years in the next six months, 15 years in the next six months. Um, the reason I'm doing that is I believe I can do it. I can believe it can be done, you know. Um, it's, um, the indications are that the, um, the types of deposits we've got on site, there's going to be more of them. Um, what, what we do not know is what happens as we keep going deeper, both reward and lock face, for instance, We've got no idea. Rockface would indicate him so far that it's probably still going. Um, so, you know, if we can pay for two rigs or three rigs for 12 months and expand the uh, deposit over the next 12 months, it's going to add real value to the project, assuming what's predicted to happen with um, the copper price. Right. Well, obviously, copper price hit four bucks yesterday. That, that's kind of good news. And the, and the general, um, well, I, I think the con general consensus is that it, it should go higher. The, the, the commitments that governments are making on our behalf uh, and, and how much copper they're talking about, it, it, it's, it seems incredulous that we're actually going to be able to find the copper that we need. So the Heiko project's much sought after. You're, you're, we're talking about, you know, how do we how do we scale your project up in terms of life of mine, but also in terms of um, the amount of pounds you're going to be able to get out of the ground. But um, I'm, I'm sort of intrigued about the, the, the numbers. So what, what, coming back to the question about feasibility studies, what did the feasibility numbers look like? You're going down one one kilometer that, you know, it's, it's, it's open at depth. Um, it's fairly vertical. It gets expensive when you start, you know, going that far underground. So. How do you manage your ability to make the margins you're gonna, you, you, well, that you want to make? Oh well, the, um, I mean, the numbers will show how that happens. We, we're obviously we've got to mine it, you know. Um, um, and when you talk about reward, we are talking about a higher grade. Um, and yeah, there's it's, the underground mining process is is reasonably expensive compared to well, obviously very expensive compared to the open cut. Um, and that's why we are currently looking at expanding one of the potentials as the copper price goes up, the open cuts can expand. Um, but, you know, um, we, we're going to do the Bellbird open cut first, which means the decline into rock face will come from that bottom of that open cut. And it will be the same into reward to some extent, one of the, um, into the Marshall area. The decline for that will come from the underground once the uh, from the open cut from the bottom of the open cut once it's built. So we're we're obviously optimising everything as we speak. In that that will continue even after you start operating. For anybody to think you can rule it all off 
and optimise it perfectly before you start, um, they're going to miss the point. The fact is that's not how it happens. And, and, and to add some uh, another context in here, we will be mining as part of the process that we're established now, and it's not in the fees, it's not part of the process, but we will be mining leads in core as well. Now we've, in, in the my predecessors that I took over from, they did be, they were mining lead zinc at the same time. Uh, now our process plant can do lead zinc as well, but it is a modification to be made to it. It's about $30 million, $25, 30000000 million. But we've seen the potential when I come in 2016 in copper. So we've ignored the potential of everything else at this stage, except obviously the copper, the silver and gold, which is part of the copper resource. And, and, and to be frank, one of our biggest advantages is that particularly starting up this operation, so we now can manipulate it, the, the startup process, we've got more flexibility because we're just trucking the ore to Mount Isa as opposed to trying to build up 10,000 tonnes at either Darwin or Adelaide. You know, so you know, what we do now, our daily production rate can be controlled by the cheapest cost for our process, given that we're just trucking the material to uh, Mount Isa. Right. And, and if I look at the feasibility, what I'm trying to get at is the sort of understanding of the numbers, you know, how much of this is predicated on, you know, future copper copper price, you know, to, to determine your success um, today. So the NPV of about 240 million um, Aussie at, a, at an NPV eight, sorry, an IRR, you know, 20, 21, 1% and sort of payback within a sort of four, four and a half year period. So is that where you want to be? Or do you think there's, there's, there's more that you've got to do to kind of improve those those numbers because in terms of NPVA, it's it's not it's not a big project yet. So what, how how do you get it there? Well, I've started some private mines myself, and, and admittedly they'll coal. So there's Copperbella and Morvale. They Copperbella start that was the first one I started, and it started off very small. And here, 27 years later, it's still going, and it's still very profitable. Um, so. You know, it, it, size is not necessarily the answer. And if you take the Chilean mines in, into account, I don't believe the real operational numbers are out at the moment. They're, their numbers are going to go up like hugely. They're, you're right, the grade, but most of those old big mines there are getting bigger and bigger. They're open cuts and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And of course, They've got a massive water cost because they've got desalinators down on the ocean. They've got to pump it up a couple of kilometres plus a couple of hundred kilometres into the mines. Um, we're very fortunate. The big basin beside us is loaded with water. So, you know, we've got water just next door, right next door to just west of our deposit. So we've got a lot of advantages, but we're also in Australia, which, you know, whilst getting our licenses and everything is more difficult, I believe, and takes longer time, we've got ours done. Yeah, so we're ready to go. And whilst you could argue the feasibility study is not that solid, I, I, I believe it's solid enough to justify going. Um, and, but if copper price does go to where people are saying, it's a huge change to the number. And I can tell you, going from 11 years, well, I should say 10, but it's 11, uh, to 15 makes a very big difference because 
as you pointed out, the decline, for instance, for Rockface, it's pretty well a fixed cost. You know, and if we can add another five years to Rockface, for instance, uh, that's another, that's sort of almost doubling the, doubling the life of Rockface and doubling the amount coming out. And quite frankly, it's only the addition to going down from the decline um, that adds, adds to any cost. It, it's, it's kind of the numbers I, I quoted earlier. Obviously, um, were at I think using your numbers at you know four dollars twenty three. Um, you also give an example of you know what it looks like at five dollars ninety, which is you know takes the NPV eight up to you know seven hundred million bucks and IRR forty percent. But you know if everyone operated that way, you know life would look great. Um, I'm trying. I'm, I'm also slightly intrigued by. Um, you know, I think copper went on run at the beginning of 2022, and then it kind of came off a little bit. And you know, all copper companies, kind of the charts reflect that. Um, what, what are your expectations for this year for your company? Because you can't rely on copper price to do all the heavy lifting. You're going to need to raise some some capital. Um, can you can you give us a sense of what what that could look like, the timing, and so again the application of that money? I only raise enough money to do what I'm telling the shareholders I'm going to do. Now, I'm a fairly regular capital raiser, but it's always, I always define what I'm going to do. There's nine out of 10 people where the shareholders will tell you, I always do it. Now, the big issue going forward, now we've got the expansion to the mine, to the resource, which I know we can do, and it's it's not a massive capital cost. Um, But then you've got, do we, and, and we will be, we're in the middle now, I'm starting to have drafting up the, final contracts and stuff for mining and processing. And because we're not a mining company, I know how to handle this. We use tier one miners, we'll use tier one processes, construction. We don't t- cut corners. And, and the trick is when you're building something like this without an income, which we don't have, um, the trick is you've got to get it right. You know, the big companies do struggle when they build projects now, and I know that because I've had to help clean some up. Um, because the staff don't necessarily focus on getting it right, and it's getting it right. Well, so what do you mean by that? That's that's intriguing. Dan, tell me more about that. What do you mean by that? When people kind of, you expect people to go to work and try and get things right every day, but when you say they don't focus on trying to get it right, what, what are they doing? What are the mistakes they make? You look at the amount of cost to people from delays in the construction process. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, it's horrendous. Even our major shareholder was building a mine in the Hunter Valley and his construction on his process plant when I come in to give him a bit of a hand was 18 months behind schedule. But, you know, he's been paying Tease the mine for that 18 months. Been take or pay on the rail. I mean, it's getting it right means focusing on the time and get the time right. And, and you know, that's what I've got to convince myself now before I do anything else is that what I'm putting in place can do that. And I am working on various things at the moment that could make it happen. See, that's interesting to me. The question I always ask um, you know, my, my staff is like, what would you do if it was your money? At risk is the bit in brackets. But we, we do, and that's interesting. So, you know, mm, okay. 
I know a lot of pro projects last year, you know, those, those certainly when they were sort of moving between the economic studies, the you know, costs went up, but people, you blame that on inflation. But you're saying sort of large part of this is perhaps people not really focus on the right things. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, to some extent, yes. Um, but very much to the extent that I'm telling you that, I mean, I even had a cleaner co a coal mine up in the Hunter Valley, a public one that the Commonwealth Bank and Bain and Company brought me in to clean up. It had gone, it had gone public and gone broke in nine months. And quite frankly, it was just a matter of cleaning everything up to match the time, which is what, what I do. And it's it's fundamentally when you start construction, focus on the time. And if that means you've got to bring a dozer in to get something to happen to keep it on time, that's what it means. And that'll cost you less than delaying the project. Because particularly in our case, we're in the middle of Australia with a campsite. So flying people in and out, getting them there, getting and, and having them held up because something's not being done. So that's the process I'm focusing on now. Or I've always focused on that process and I know what happens if you get it wrong. But it's more difficult today to get it right and we're working on it. I'm working on more module design type work and having it constructed off site and bought to site. Uh, I'm looking at things that are quite possible. I, I own 23% of Sedgman's, a construction company, a design construction process company. For, for about six years. So I'm well aware of the story from both sides and what is necessary for it to happen. Okay. When people say time is money, you mean it. Well, time is money when you time is money when you're doing it. And I I am not I'm responsible for a lot of the shareholders in here. And, and in fact because this is my first public company that I've actually taken from scratch. Unfortunately for me, I had my doctors, my dentists, my brothers, my sisters, my nieces and nephews. They're all in there. No, no <laughs> pressure at Christmas then. And of course. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> I want, want to talk to you about um, one of the other as aspects of this, which is obviously your offtake agreement with, with, with Glencore. Um, tell me about that, because obviously when you get something like that in place, it sounds great. Um, it kind of get, gets people, well, it makes people think, well, those guys have done some of that due diligence on you. And sign something. It must be good. So will, that will have helped the the, the, the stock price. So when, when was that done, and what, what are the actual terms that you agreed with uh, Glencore on the offtake? It's obviously uh, confidential, uh, but I can tell you it's a big advantage. The flexibility in it and a few other issues are big advantages to us. The disadvantage for me at this point in time, and it, it's not anything critical for how we're going to go forward, because if I can get myself convinced that we're going to do it on time, um, which I will do eventually, and hopefully it won't take too long, uh, then we, I will be able to raise the money. It's not because the major shareholders will have to commit to the equity, some of the equity or a fair amount of equity, and they will do it. So I'm not losing sleep. However, if I don't go to Glencore, I had two parts of the market wanting the copper that would have funded the project. No, I get, I get that. But look, but about 100% off, um, offtake of the copper concentrate is a big commitment. You, you, you kind of gone all in on that one. Was that was that done out of desperation? You thought, well, that make the most sense? Because, you, you know, you've got a very strong view about what the future uh, copper price looks like. Um, so you, I guess you're pretty confident about the debt and the equity bit going forward if you hadn't have got Glencore. So what, what problem did it solve for you? Oh, well... Fundamentally, it's reduced my mining costs a lot because, as I said, we, we, we do have some quality issues, uh, nothing serious, but we do have some. 
and then they're mostly associated with the open cuts, the, the more shallow ore. Now, what we had to do if we're going to go to export is start the undergrounds up to blend it with the open cuts. But now we can keep the cost down the first couple of years by not starting the undergrounds while we're working on the open cuts. So that, there's a lot of things like that. But the big one is we've only got to truck it. If we go to Mount Isa or Alice Springs, you've got to truck it one or the other. There's not much difference in the trucking time. On the, 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 and the big issue when you're talking to the government and, and people like this and the public is your carbon footprint. So, you know, if Mount Isa's got to import copper, copper ore, you know, they're going to have a fair carbon footprint on it to get it there because Mount Isa is getting lower and lower on copper. Whereas, you know, here we are, we can truck it there or truck it. And then if you go to, to Alice Springs, we've then got to put it on the rail and take it to Darwin or Alice Springs. There's more carbon footprint. Then you've got to put it in a ship and take it to China or wherever it's going. There's another carbon footprint. So one of my arguments here is the carbon footprint, but more is the flexibility of how we can mine and the flexibility of our mining rate. Because it becomes a real issue, and, and this is one of the issues because we're a small mine, is meeting the ship requirements. Now, obviously, if we go to Adelaide, we can blend it with others. Um, so it's not as bad as going to Darwin. But the flexibility and the cost going to uh, Mount Isa is a great um, positive reflection on our numbers in our feasibility study. Interesting. Um... But as you kind of scale up, that, that, that problem goes away and hopefully the grade continues as well. Can, can you give some, I know it's a, it's a private confidential um, agreement with, with, with Glencore, but did, did that involve some kind of money up front? You talk about, because, you know, you talk about time as money, but, you know, the cost of money is money too. So, again, would, did that help you at the time to overcome a, a hurdle or a hump? No, there's been... Uh... No money involved. The, the only money involved in the contract between us and Glencore is when they buy the copper ore office. Okay, fine. So it's 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 an it's an option. And is is that are you fixed on that? Is that a binding contract or is that just sort of an option? No, it's 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 a binding contract, but it's got a, um, it's got a deadline in it, which um, uh, we're okay with at the moment. But it's only a deadline that will cause a uh, re a re. Uh, some re-discussions. Re renegotiation of terms, um, should you not meet them. Okay, fine. But you have you got any opt-outs yourself? Should you know, should the markets improve significantly? Well the the cost the cost of the copper ore is based on the market. Okay. So it's just Glencore has a reputation of being very, very strong and, and good negotiators because they they usually negotiate from a position of strength, whereas the companies, you know, tend to be in a certain position um, when, when, when they're when they're negotiating. So, okay, well, more of that another time. Um, I think I think Dennis, that's that's kind of a really good sense of um, how you think and you know how you've got to where you are and, and the challenges ahead of you. So, some money to be raised to allow you to deliver what you will talk about with with shareholders and, and to the market. Um, I would say this, that, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a, um, a PowerPoint presentation from April 2022, and it was it was hard to find um, as well. Um, in terms of the way that 
you're not a public markets guy, but do you think going forward you're going to, you know, change that somewhat? Are you going to be communicating more regularly to the market, or are you going to leave that to others? Oh no, no, no. Um, you'll find I as I get ready to raise finance, and, and we're starting that process now. You know, I wouldn't. No way I would let the process start, although it did start after I retired. Uh, I've canned it now until you've got a financial model you can put a case up for and put, put some, and actually argue your point. Um, but what I've got to do now before I take the next stage is get positive again, and that is to have the signed contracts. And what I do with the contracts for mining and processing construction and stuff, I sign the contract subject to us getting the finance. That means those tier one operators have got will back me with the financing process. Because as I said, as, as was the case with Copperbella and Morvale, we're not a mining company, not yet. And it'll take years. You know, if we, we went and raised our own mine engineers and metallurgists and everything you need now, it's still not a team that's worked together before. I may be able to get one out of um, um, Oz Minerals or something now, who knows, I might be able to pull a full team out for a team that's worked together, but it's not part of life. And um, so I, I will be using tier ones, the part that will be raising the money on will be the contracts. That's the addition to our feasibility to make it bankable. And that's what we're working on now. Brilliant. Well, look, Dennis, um, I'll wrap it up there. Um, really enjoy listening to you and your, and some of the your 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 experience, the stories of your your experience in the past, what's worked and what hasn't. Um, always always um, enjoy learning. Um, so, like, stay, stay in touch with us. Let us know how you get on and how you, how you move forward. I mean, we do need copper. I think the demand fundamentals are there for all to see. Um, so, good luck with this. Oh, thanks, Matthew. It's been. Uh, it's- as I said, this is my first attempt at talking to the market or talking to the greater market, so to speak, not, not the one that's a shareholder. Um, because all of a sudden now, with the feasibility study out, the need for copper is becoming extremely public. Uh, and it is a real, it is real. And, um, you know, the potential for us to expand our copper regime is where we make the real value. And uh, expanding the project is, I think, and so do the major shareholders, think the most positive thing we can do, along with getting the uh, construction process financed and underway. But as I said, it's not going to happen unless uh, the project construction, until I'm convinced we can do, I can manage it and get it done on time. And it's possible, you've just got to get it right. Thank you.